First you told us only through you could we know God And if we dared to question, he wouldn't spare the rod For you we worked the soil, for you we dug the moors For you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars Now you try to tell us there's nothing we can do You say the world around us belongs fairly to the few But about six billion people no doubt will agree This world is our home not your property, it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who would enclose the land all around the earth, our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. With our sweat we built the railroads, built cities on these shores, but because you own the money, you see that it's all yours We laid the phone lines and the pipelines And then right before our eyes You see these things are taxes paid for You now will privatize Privatize the hospitals Privatize the schools Privatize the prisons For all those who break your rules And preparing for the day When all the wells run dry You say you own the very rain That falls down from the sky But it's the commons Our right of birth you who'd own the water all around the earth our future is your downfall good afternoon and happy thanksgiving uh, welcome to corporations and democracy a program that explores issues of community democracy and what we the people are doing to create sustainable democratic alternatives to corporate control from the philo studio i'm your host linda mcclure Support from KZY4, KZYX, and Z comes from our members and Mariposa Market in Willits. Mariposa Market has organic and non-GMO Thanksgiving turkeys available and encourages early ordering for best selection. For more information, mariposamarket.com for store news, current hours, our deli menu, and to place curbside orders. Mariposa Market at 707-459-9630. The views expressed on this program are those of the speaker and do not necessarily represent the opinions of station staff, members, or board. If you call in when the listener phone line is open, please be aware the show is recorded and may be accessed at KZYX's website, archives, or played at a later date. Today we're going to explore the election, who voted for Trump and why, what roles does social media, entrenched racism, and massive misinformation have on the level of support Trump had from in this election and continues to have within our society. What do the named and potential cabinet appointments say about the Biden administration? What issues and perspectives are dividing both the Republican and the Democratic parties. I have a pre-recorded interview with Paul Cienfuegos, founding director of Community Rights U.S., and a guest I call on frequently because he is one of the most articulate, passionate, and effective grassroots activists I have had the pleasure of knowing. After the interview, I will open the phone lines for the last bit of the show, and you are welcome to call in with your perspectives on the election and Trump's popularity among a significant portion of this population. 
And I want to give a special thanks to Rich, KCYX's Operation Director, for being in the studio today and for giving me the help I needed to bring the show to you today. So let's go to Paul's interview. Thank you so much for being with me today. Always fun being on KZYX with you. Yeah, and of course, our, our listeners who are enjoying their Thanksgiving with us. Thank you all for that. So we're talking about the elections and more specifically about why Trump has this level of support that he has. I think many of us watched in anguish election night as things were so tight and for days afterwards. What what is your thought about Trump's appeal to whoever he appeals to? To more than 70 million people. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think I have a bit of a contrary perspective from a lot of progressives in this country who just assume that these 70 million are, are idiots or fools or racists. And I just keep remembering that 10 or 15 million People in 2016 voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary and then Trump in the general election. 10 or 15 million people. So those aren't ideological racists, right? Those are people Mm -hmm. who are mad at the system and want to shake things up. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that continues to be where we're at, that we have two corporate parties Um, And one of them is doing a much better job of convincing the public that they support the working class and working class interests, and it's not the Democrats. The Democrats have basically abandoned the working class since Bill Clinton, you know, in his welfare reform bill Mm -hmm. once upon a time. And um, I just think, I I think that that the left is completely ignoring class and paying too much attention just to race and racism to explain it. Well, that certainly uh, is consistent with their their, uh, beginning the the cabinet appointments. Um, And there was a big conference call of the Democrats right after the election, and, and there was some feeling within the party that it was the Black Lives Matter that, that made it so close, that pulled support away from them. It was, you know, it was the left that pulled their support away. Um, and Which I think is ludicrous, yeah, but... Absolutely. Because every real progressive Democrat won, and virtually all of the moderate centrist Democrats I mean, they lost like 12 seats in the House, and they expected to gain 5 or 10 seats, and every one of them was a corporate centrist who lost, every single one. Then there were some very progressive people elected. That's right, yeah. There was an amazing... um, I I get David Sirota's um, articles by email starting just in the last few months, Um, I regularly see him on an amazing online news show called um, Rising. Um, And just a few days ago, he published uh, an article that had this remarkable data from, I think it was Data for Progress, I think is the name of the group. It's a progressive polling company. They asked Republicans and Democrats how they felt. Were they opposed to their senators um, confirming 
Biden's uh, cabinet members, if those people he was um, putting forward were corporate executives and corporate lobbyists. So do you, do you oppose or support Biden putting corporate executives and corporate lobbyists in his cabinet? And 71% of Republicans said they opposed it, and 61% of Democrats said they opposed it. That's fascinating. Fascinating. So almost three-quarters of Republicans said they would tell their senators to not confirm a corporate appointee, and only 61% of Democrats said the same thing. Well, how do you explain that? Well, I think it's really remarkable. Ten percent more Republicans than Democrats are opposed to, the, to, to Biden's corporate picks. And, you know, I've traveled all over the country leading community rights workshops and talks. And um, I've mostly worked in rural conservative communities where I'm hosted by Trump supporters who watch Fox News every night. And the reality is that rural conservatives, in my opinion, have a lot more um, backbone in saying absolutely no to corporate harms coming into their communities than do liberal Democrats in their communities. And I've been noticing this for the decades that I've been doing this work. And so those statistics don't actually surprise me that much, because the trend in the country is that when Democrats are trying to stop a corporate harm in their community, they run to the federal government and they try to get a regulation passed or enforced, which was generally a hopeless process that regulates the harm rather than prohibits it, whereas Republicans are very convinced that at the local level they should have the right to say, no, stop, end of story. So, um, you know, Trump comes in and he says we're going to tear up the existing trade treaties because they, you know, hurt workers, um, and we're going to um, do a whole variety of other things because they hurt workers. And, you know, you never hear Democrats say that. <laughs> Democrats are lying to the public all the time, too, but they're not even claiming anymore to support workers. So I'm not, I'm not claiming that Trump was more of a pro-worker candidate or president than Biden is going to be, but he was a lot more convincing that he was pro-worker than Democrats ever are these days. Do you think that the Republican philosophy is less government, more uh, independent, um, free will? I, I mean, that's a... Uh, not a great... <laughs> what? Um, well, I'll edit this part. So, do you think it is that kind of anti-government sentiment and Trump acts anti-government, uh, that, that government should have less a part of our daily lives, libertarian-type thinking. Is that maybe why Republicans are... I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that might be a part of it, but frankly, if you poll Republican voters and Democrat voters about do they want Medicare for all, the numbers are fairly systematic fairly similar. They're both, they're both majorities. You know, and Medicare for all is a lot more government intervention. So, you know, I think, I think it's an, a, a, I've always said this, I've said it to you in interviews for years, that I think that the, the battle is really top versus bottom, not left versus right, primarily. It's corporations versus the people. And, you know, it's like when 71% of Republican voters 
are saying they don't want to see Biden put corporatists in his cabinet. What in the hell are Democrats doing not figuring out who those people are and building an alliance with them to make sure that corporatists don't get put in Biden's cabinet? Like, where is that activism? It's nowhere. It doesn't exist, which stuns me. Right, because those appointments are so important, like Heidi Young, yeah. Heidi Heitkamp, who's being considered for Secretary of Agriculture. She was on Trump's list as a, a possible cabinet member. They're appalling. I mean, most of the national security people he's just put on are right. appalling. Yesterday's Democracy Now! did two terrific stories um, about about the cabinet people who've just been appointed. They're almost all appalling. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, people who are Bernie supporters aren't surprised by this at all. I mean, it's really tragic. And so the question is, you know, how do we build opposition to this? It's like, you know, we were very good at marching in the streets every few months by the hundreds of thousands or millions against Trump. You know, I hear rumors that there's going to be a, a national march on Inauguration Day this year by some radical groups, but the Democrats aren't going to show up to it. Right. With demands that Biden, you know, be function as a progressive president. Well, do the right thing on all sorts of topics. But will Democrats show up? Well, I believe it was the grassroots that delivered the election for the Democrats, not the Democrats. Absolutely. And um, and I was thinking, you know, if they keep this up, if they keep up taking for granted the Latino, the the black vote, the the liberal vote. I, I kept thinking there'll be a new party started, and then I was looking at the ballot, and I said, "Well, there's already five or six parties listed here, so starting a new party, I don't know, is the the answer." Um, but what what are I mean, aside from becoming disenfranchised and just not voting anymore, what what options do you see liberals? have and and people of color that are ignored well first of all let's i want to make the claim that the word liberal means centrist everywhere but in the united states right the liberal party in britain is the party of the middle the labor party's left the conservative party's right so liberals are not only in the united states are liberals and progressives considered you know overwhelmingly the same thing same mm-hmm. meaning interesting so when you say liberals and i forget people of color is that what you said mm-hmm. like to me those are two those are, we're talking about apples and oranges here so you know if we mean the left i think the left has figured out just in the last handful of years that we can actually run candidates against congress and senators who are entrenched moderate corporatists and beat them you know, and and thank goodness for that, because you know the Greens have tried for years um, to break into the into the two party system and have been utterly ineffective. Um, to me, the only third party success that's out there, and I've been pretty impressed by it, is the Working Families Party that now has um, active campaigns in twenty five or thirty states. Um, and Oregon is one of them. I don't know if California has. I don't remember if California has a Working Families Party. But I'm, I'm now a registered voter um, as a Portland, Oregon resident um, in the Working Families Party because they're a progressive, pro-working class party that actually knows how to organize and knows how to fundraise, and wins a majority of the seats that they run. They're running local, statewide seats. 
They run city and state candidates, and they will run senators and congresspeople. And it yep, they is run at every level. A, What's that? It's a party that is recognized by the state. Oh yeah, it's an official uh-huh. political party uh-huh. in twenty-five or or more states. Yeah, I mean, check it out. Working Families Party Online. It's it's. I mean, in Oregon alone, they probably ran twenty candidates in the last election, and most of them won. Um, I forget the woman who ran against Governor Cuomo in New York, who was the actress some years ago. I forget her name. Yeah, I'm, I'm... She was from Sex in the City, and she ran a very impressive campaign against Governor Cuomo as a progressive against a, a, a corporatist Dem who was in office, and she was a Working Families Party candidate. Um, and she, and um, she got like 40% of the vote, uh-huh. taking, on, taking on an incumbent um, corporate Democrat. So, you know, there's, there's Working Families Party, there's... Um, um, brand new Congress, which is the group that brought AOC into existence, into public imagination. There's Justice Democrats. There's Our Revolution, which came out of the Bernie community. All of these groups are running progressive candidates who, more often than not, are beating corporate centrist Democrats. Um, so, I, to me, that I mean, they, they are. They are the future of the Democrat Party. The question is, you know, I mean, we went from four members of the squad to eight members of the squad, if right. you call them that, you know, in one in, in two years. Uh-huh. So um, can we double it again to six? Can we make it 16 in another two years? I mean, we're in such a great climate emergency right now that these kinds of numbers are not actually going to make a difference quickly enough. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not terribly hopeful about the next five or ten years, but at least I see social movements rising at a pretty ferocious rate compared to a few decades ago. That feels good. And I suppose we can thank. It's hard to get these words out. We can thank Trump for that. Yes, we can. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I actually, I'm one of those um, strange progressives who believe that if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency four years ago, our social movements would be dead in the water at this point, um, and we'd be in much worse shape than we are now. No, I agree with you on that. So. Yeah, no, I uh, that uh, people just get comfortable and complacent unless it's in our face and really offensive. And um, so, yes, Trump brought out that opposition, but I still am just struggling uh, with why people support him. People, I just found out my nephew supports him. And my nephew is a an educated, he's a computer engineer, he is a nice guy, a decent guy. I haven't talked to him since I learned this, not because I quit talking with him, but because I haven't had an opportunity to. But I'm trying to develop a set of questions that I can draw out rationale among people without them getting defensive or without arguing, just draw them out to figure out why they support this man. But I think I think the answer is in front of our face, Linda, because Democrats have sold out working people. Period. Yeah, I agree with that. 
right? And so, and so Trump offered an alternative to that, whereas in the way that conventional Republicans don't. But then after four years of watching mm-hmm. his, his uh, him, why are thinking people still supporting him? I think because they actually believe that the only solution, and I mean, I don't agree with this, that the only solution is to further blow up the system and blow up the swamp. And they, and they, a lot of them are still convinced that he has that goal still, even though he's, you know, he is the swamp. But then so, but then Biden's the swamp. I mean, this is what's so, this is what's so painful about it, is they're really, you know, there there isn't really that much difference between Fox News and MSNBC, for example, right? The, the 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 loyalists of both political parties are so heavily propagandized, you know. You know, and now on top of all of that, we've got um, QAnon and and all of these new right wing TV channels that are starting to take on Fox News. You know, I mean. We got thirty or forty percent of the country who literally doesn't even know, doesn't even agree on basic facts anymore. So I mean, it's. I agree. It's it's a very scary time. No it question is. about it. It is. What What is your greatest fear of how things will play out? Um, <laughs> well, quite honestly, I actually think that we're seeing the beginning of the end of of the Republic of the United States. I don't think that a country can survive when. 30 or 40% of the country doesn't agree, you know, which way is up and what, what is, you know, what 2 plus 2 equals. I really don't. And I don't think it's just the right wing either. I think there are other parts of, of social movements that are contributing to that. So I, I'm not hopeful. <laughs> You're talking to somebody who has become um, much less hopeful in the last five years. What and would, not just because of Trump. What would be your best case scenario? <laughs> Oh, gosh. My best-case scenario is that, um, I mean, you won't like this either, probably. My best-case scenario is that um, we we wake up enough as we, the people, across the political spectrum to start mobilizing to protect our climate and get corporations out of power across the the system, and we battle, um, we focus on the climate change emergency, and I still think 10 to 20 to 30 years from now, our civilization will be in full-scale collapse from climate collapse, as wrong as most of the natural world. <laughs> That's where I am these days. And happy, I, thing, I am, happy Thanksgiving I a, to you, too. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. I'm not, I'm not a very hopeful person around the future anymore. Well, I think you have good reason for that. And maybe people don't dwell on it because it's too painful and too painful. frightening. But yeah. uh, if if you give a lot of thought to it, I mean, if you if you delve into it, I I can see exactly why you think that. Um, I, I mean, I yeah. think best case scenario is that is that we the people figure out how to live and work together a lot better than we are, and we and we organize a, a democratic and functional uh, social and ecological collapse. You know that we do it that we do it as peacefully and, and with as much justice as possible so that people's needs are as best taken care of as possible in this slow-motion ecological collapse that we're already in, right? Yes, we are in, I so, know. <laughs> as opposed to civil war, right? 
Because I mean, you know, look at the look at the mili- look at the militias, look at the the number of guns. I mean, just over the last six months, the number of guns that have been purchased, you know, for the so the, the coming civil war supposedly. I mean, to me, that's like become one of the priorities that we need to figure out how to make sure doesn't happen. And what what steps would you see? are necessary to make sure that doesn't happen, to maintain our, our uh, republic? Um, I'm going to sound like a broken record for anyone who's ever heard me talk <laughs> on KZYX, which is um, progressives need to be smarter and figure out who that half of the, at least half of the 70-plus million Trump supporters who are out there are anti-corporatists like we are, who understand that corporate rule is the central emergency in the United States that has brought on the, the climate crisis and the other crises, um, and figure out how to how to help educate them, um, help them educate us, and start working together to turn this thing around. That I don't see I don't see a solution if left and right um, don't start working together on it's this enormous number of issues that we agree on already, but that we're we don't know that we agree on because our parties keep us apart. And what mechanisms could there be to build those bridges and connect those dots so we do see that we agree on most things? Um, well, polling, you know, has, polling shows this, you know, consistently. I mean, Chomsky and many other, you know, analysts are constantly quoting polls that show how much agreement there is across the political spectrum. Yes. Um, uh, you know, on health care, on, um, on climate change is one of the very few places that Republicans have been convinced that it's a, a hoax overwhelmingly. But, you know, but if you back up a little bit and just talk about clean air and clean water, you've got overwhelming support across the political spectrum, overwhelming support wanting Medicare for all health care systems across the political spectrum. Um, people don't like our forest practices. They don't like our agricultural practices. Um, they don't like our interventionism all over the world, right? Uh-huh. You know, and again, it's working class people who who die in that, in those wars. So, um, how do you do it? You 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 start actually doing the work of building those relationships. You know, I mean, that's what the community rights movement has been doing. We're one of the only movements in the country. You know, I didn't think I'd be saying. 20 years later, after getting involved in the community rights movement, that we're still one of the only social movements in the United States that brings progressives and conservatives together to challenge corporate rule. I mean, it's, tra- it's just it's tragic and it's devastating. Progressives are just organizing progressives against conservatives, as if we're ever going to get anywhere that way, when we agree on most issues at the voter level. I'm not talking about the, can- the, the you know, federal... Um, politicians level. Uh huh. Well, Biden has made a few steps about bringing people together, uh, and you know, saying he whether he voted you voted for Trump or for him that uh, he's right. going to be the president for everyone. But when he looks across the aisle for his building support to the people who have tried to steal our election, have have robbed us of Supreme Court nominations, uh, both in the Obama and then pushing through Barrett. Um, to 
to look to that group rather than the people who have been doing the grassroots organizing and delivering the election to them. Um, I mean, they seem to be going through the movements of trying to make some, um, build some bridges. But I don't know that maybe it's just D.C. politics, that the Republicans don't seem interested in bridge building. I don't think either party at the state or federal level is interested at all in bridge building. I'm talking about at the community level. Uh-huh. I think that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. I mean, where every social, every progressive social movement in the United States today um, should understand, you know, should look at the polls and see where conservative voters stand on the issue that they're currently organizing. And if 30, 40, 60, 80 percent of Republicans agree with them, they should be urgently making that the priority to find that 30, 40, 60, 80 percent of Republicans and be organizing on that issue with them. And is that one of the one of the strategies you use in your community organizing? Well, our community organizing already almost it's we don't even have in. to reach out and do that work because in a community people already agree that they're trying to stop the corporate um, you know corporate incinerator right. or the corporate frack site or the corporate big box or the corporate uh, mine or or power line or. <laughs> factory farm. I mean, there's overwhelming opposition at the local level to all of these things. You don't have to convince people across the political spectrum to work together. At the local level, they work together because they're all opposed to that thing. Mm-hmm. They're not asking each other what party you're in. You know, I won't work with you if you're not in my party. Uh-huh. It's irrelevant on those issues. So do you see the local offices, the county level, and maybe even state level offices where the change will start manifesting? State offices, you mean elected local officials? Elected, yes. Well, I mean, yes. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, would, I would really love to see that. Um, you know, I mean, in rural, communi- rural communities are overwhelmingly conservative and urban communities are overwhelmingly progressive. And so that's who's doing the organizing in those places to stop corporate harms. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But but when you so I'm not I'm not quite sure how to answer your question. I mean, so I, I guess I'm rural just conservative thinking. communities elect conservative people. But yeah, if 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 I mean groups like you know, there's a group like um, um, Oregon Rural Action is an example of a of a of a populist. They're not progressive. They're not conservative. They're rural, uh, they're rural organizing project. They're called Oregon Rural Action. Oregon Rural Action. Um, and they have chapters in like six or eight eastern Oregon, very conservative counties. And they're doing work to stop clear-cutting and mining um, and, and other kinds of corporate destructive activities. And, you know... In, in every one of these counties, there's probably 20 or 30 percent of the population are progressive or are Democrat, but it doesn't matter. They're working on those issues together. I mean, that's, that's really all I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But, but when you build up to a higher scale, you know, you've got, um, like the pebble mine, right, that just started, that just got stopped once again up in Alaska. 
you know, uh-huh. for the wrong reasons. I mean, it was stopped by Trump's EPA for the wrong reasons, but at least it was stopped. Um, you know, Alaskans are, Alaskans, I'm sure, are very split about resource extraction of, of mining materials versus protecting fisheries. But I don't think it breaks down versus breaks down as as um, by pol- by political party, mm-hmm. right? I I just think like let's get rid of the political parties as a start. That would be interesting. You know, I mean, I think we're just so stuck. I think both sides are just so stuck. You know, what if what if we got rid of these two parties entirely, and we're just like, well, what do you actually think and believe? And I'll lie with you if I agree with you. I mean, wouldn't that be a step forward? It would be difficult to have a structure in place that would have the ability to run a national campaign. I don't know why that is, though. I mean, look at local elections are nonpartisan, and Mm -hmm. you don't struggle to figure out who you're going to vote for in a local election. Mm-hmm. You know, you actually listen. You you listen to a debate, or you read their policy statement, and you're like, okay, I I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I'll vote for that person. Yeah, well, that that I wonder how we could um, get the parties to disband and go away. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a step in the right in the in the direction is again. I'll say it for social movement groups today that are working on particular issues that are overwhelmingly progressive, at least the ones that you and I follow, right, that we, mm-hmm. that we agree with, that we support, figuring mm-hmm. out how those groups could work across this so-called chasm with the large number of conservatives who agree with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That would not be a difficult starting place. Yeah, it would mean a real tweak in some people's perception of... <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, right, which just shows you that the problem is not just a right-wing problem. Right. Because leftists would have to do some serious work to stop mocking conservatives. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And thinking of them as idiots. Like, I have a friend here in Portland who sends out the latest political cartoons that he sees around the country in an email. Like, I get a couple times a week, I get eight or ten political cartoons all in one email from this guy. Mm-hmm. And I frequently... You know, the ones I really love, I post on my Facebook page. Well, as you can imagine, there have been tons of political cartoons recently about the right wing, about QAnon, about the Proud Boys, about the militias, about the Trump supporters that are very mocking. And every, every single time, without any exception, the human beings that are caricatured in these political cartoons are they're they're drawn to look stupid, fat, ignorant slobs who don't know even how to wear a t-shirt that fits. Mhm. It's disgusting. That's how progressives look at conservatives. Mhm. It's appalling. Yeah. Yeah, I I haven't um contemplated a lot in in that uh in that light. Again, though, I go back to people I'm learning are Trump supporters I never knew yeah. before. And, of course, they don't fit that. The The ones that I know are really good folks. <laughs> they've, they've done great things in the past. Uh, and Most again, people are good folks. Yes, that's true. That's true. They're not, we're not talking 
the 70 plus million people are not all white supremacists. A small percentage of them are. Well, 57, 58% of white voters voted for Trump. Okay. And 57% of white women voted for Trump. Um, I just have trouble wrapping my head around that. Um, <laughs> so what, what do you see are the divisions in the Republican Party right now? Oh, I think they're huge. Um, I mean, well, you know, there's libertarians and there's corporate Republicans. And I don't know how many subcategories there are of Republicans. Um, gosh. Splits. In the, I mean, well, I mean, clearly the, you know, Trump has basically made the Republican Party his own party, right? And he's, he's forcing it to be, well, how do I describe this? I mean, he's he's really forcing it to become much more a a populist, um, pro working class party. I mean, there's there's wrenching changes happening in the Republican Party, um, and there's only a small number of of existing uh, Republican Congress people and senators who really are pro working class, but they're starting to appear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm qualified to really give you a proper answer to that question. Well, just but, your, but your me, opinion is let a me great... Just, let me ask you a question, though, about about your struggle with understanding Trump's, Trump voters. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm firmly convinced that if um, Bernie Sanders had beat Biden for the nomination, and it had been Sanders versus Trump, that Sanders would, be, would have won the, the election. I agree. Do you agree with me? Yes, you agree absolutely. With me? Okay, so if you agree with me, then why are you so confused about who those who those Trump supporters are? Are you just aren't you contradicting yourself? Well, it's not a matter of Republicans and Democrats. I'm thinking of Trump as this person who was never a political figure before. He was a, a, a folk, you know, folk figure. He was sure. a television personality. He was, yeah. you know, charismatic. Yep. He's an entertainer. Um, but he's he's not a devoted Republican. Um, so it's not Republican-Democrat. I don't understand why after Everything that man has said and done that has denigrated the vast majority of the people in this country and around the world, what? why do people still support him? Because they can't stand what Democrats have become. That that might be. I I like I said. I've got. I'm working on a on a dialogue to have with people yeah. to to try to figure it out. And and I I'm sure part of it the first time around was he was so irreverent about politics, and people don't like politics, don't like politicians, and so they jumped on that bandwagon. Um, I'm, I'm concerned that there is a lot of opinions made through social media that, like Cambridge Analytica, who collects 
information. They know all yeah. about you, uh, or anyone yeah. who uses social media. They know about you, and they customize the the whatever they're pitching at you for your personality. If you're a bully, right. then they're gonna they're gonna do the bully pulpit thing. If if you're fearful, then they're gonna try to scare you, and. It's very sophisticated psychological brainwashing that agreed. I, I think yeah. had a lot to do with um, with the outcome with with how many people continued to support Trump. Uh, I know someone said and Biden and Biden. <laughs> someone said it, they he that Trump hates the same people they hate, and that's why they support him. But that doesn't explain a lot. Um, and really, who who does Trump not hate? Uh, white men. That, that come out and support... <laughs> the right kind of white men. Right. Yeah, exactly. He likes beautiful women, too, I hear. And beautiful women. <laughs> right, who don't have mouths. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have opinions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what is your thought on <laughs> social media, entrenched racism, misinformation? Is our education system over all these years managed to dumb us down to where people really can't yes. use <laughs> <laughs> I think social media has been an absolute catastrophe, um, and, and it's been an absolute... Um, um, Boon. Terrific... A terrific boon, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's incredibly complicated thinking about social media. You know, there was a period a year or two ago where I really agreed with all of the advocacy groups that were trying to stop, that were trying to force Facebook and Twitter to take down right-wing lies. Uh-huh. And I thought, thank goodness, those, because they're so effective, that propaganda is so effective, we have to shut it down. And then I started listening to um, the free speech advocates in this battle, and I ended up agreeing with them, too. So I'm very confused about it, because the reality is that if, if progressives are on the side of trying to shut down right-wing news and analysis, even when it's, you know, including lies but not just lies, then they're going to come after our side, too, right? Once we empower... Facebook Corporation and, and these other giant monopolies um, to censor, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the most um, controversial left-wing views that get censored next, right? You know, yes. the ACLU used to be a free speech absolutist, right? They were defending the rights of Nazis to speak in Jewish communities, for example, you know, and they lost a lot of support for that many decades ago. Mm-hmm. But I agree with that position, because if you don't, as, as Noam Chomsky has said, you know, for as long as I can remember, if you don't believe in the free speech rights of people that you hate, then you don't believe in free speech rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. and at this point, the ACLU has become a progressive organization that is shutting down the free speech rights of conservatives. And it's very dangerous. Does free speech include lies? Absolutely, it does. And absolutely, if it, something at least is the a, way it used to be understood in this country, yeah. And if something it's is anything. a known lie, I mean, it's a factual lie that anybody looking at any 
data can see it's a lie. Is that you're saying that they should just put out lies and people probably aren't going to go research everything? They're just going to resonate with those lies are going to resonate and then off they go? Or I, This is why it's such a confusing topic. It right? really is. I, 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 I can see the, the validity of both sides' arguments. Mm-hmm. I mean, There's a brand new documentary thing. about the ACLU's history. That, that looks at this big crisis that's going on in the ACLU, where people are increasingly being shut down just for speaking. People are being fired just for saying things about trans, trans people, for example. People are losing their jobs in, in employment situations that have absolutely nothing to do with a, a right-wing idea or a trans person's rights, and they're being fired simply for stating a private opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. That's, you know, is that is that appropriate? No, I don't think so. I don't. I but it's agree. it's starting to happen all over the world. Now, what what about if it's in a workplace that what you are saying is causing dissent among coworkers, or then then you should be talked to by your supervisor and say this is you know we're trying to create a safe workspace and uh-huh, you need to uh-huh. to not. Uh-huh. But but these are people who are literally just being fired for speaking and a story. Just that's the that's the response. Yeah, no, that's that's scary. That's um, not going in the right direction at all. And and, it, and frankly, it's like you know when I visit my mom, I watch a lot of MSNBC. It's full of lies. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. I recognize lies on MSNBC all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recognize them being outraged at right-wing lies, but but then telling left-wing progressive lies. <laughs> so should should they be taken off the air too? Yeah, who? Yeah, who knows? Right, it's it's complicated. It's, it's yes, it is complicated. Well, Paul, I know that you have some <laughs> Thanksgiving plans today. I and, do. Uh, yes, I do. And I appreciate so much your taking time to do this recording before before you go um, in a very safe and responsible way, celebrate with a handful of safe people your holidays. Thank you. Yep, all <laughs> gathering. Yep. All right. Well, have have a good one. And uh, thank you so much. I always appreciate your perspectives. You are so articulate and so knowledgeable and um, just always enjoy conversations with you. Thanks so much for, for being with us today. Well, thanks a lot, Linda. It's always a pleasure for me too. And I just want to make a plug for my organization, yes, Community please. Rights US Yeah, Community Rights US is our organization, and we do support all over the United States to help communities come together across the political spectrum to stop harmful corporate activities and strengthen local democracy. And we are currently doing a um, Giving Tuesday fundraising thing right now. And if you're interested in giving us a look, go to communityrights.us. And one other thing I wanted to urge people to do to start looking more at uh, um, a media source where left and right people are talking to each other every day is a show called um, Rising with a left-wing populist and a right-wing populist co-host. 
And it's an absolutely amazing show, and I now watch it every day. It's called Rising. It's online. Online. Just go rising. You go, yeah, if you go to YouTube and put in, um, it, it's actually, it's the, the host is called The Hill, which is a D.C. news source. If you, if you Google Rising and The Hill, you'll, it'll come right up. Great. It's, um, Crystal, Crystal, I'm flanking, let's see, Sagar and Jetty is the right-wing populist, and Crystal Ball is the left-wing populist. And it has become my favorite news show every day. Well, that's a great uh, tip. I'll, I'll certainly look into that. I'm a news junkie, so... Uh, Very good. Yeah. Yep. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, Linda. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, we're back live and uh, appreciated the visit with Paul. Uh, if you want to, if that any of that conversation uh, stimulated some thought, you are welcome to call in at 895, uh, I'm sorry, 895-2448. I want to talk a little bit about our um, uh, the our county and neighboring counties as far as turnout. Um before the mail-in ballots were counted, the first time right after the election, when I looked at the turnout in our county, it was 47%. And I thought, my gosh, that can't be. And it isn't, <laughs> thankfully. Once uh, the mail ballots were, were counted, our turnout was 82.26%. Um, we have 53,651 registered voters and 44,135 ballots were turned out. Um, as the election pundits have talked about in the review of, of the count, the mail-in ballots do seem to be more liberal. Uh, whoops, that's not the term. <laughs> more progressive. Uh, that the uh, voting at the poll, uh, Biden got 51, little over 51 percent at the poll. Mail ballots, he got six, uh, over 66 percent. Um, Trump uh, mail ballots got 30, little over 30 percent. At the polls, he got 43, or the people who voted at the polls voted 43 percent. Uh, in in Humboldt County, the turnout there, uh, let's see, as I said, Mendocino County, Biden won by, uh, what was the total? Well, let's see, I don't have that number. Hmm. Uh, these, these are all available. Oh, here. These are all available. Any county you want to look at to go to, you can go to that county's website, the county government website, and go to the Registrar of Voters office. And there's really very interesting information down to which uh, precincts voted in which way. Uh, if you're ever a candidate for office, that's an invaluable um, research tool. So, in Mendocino County, um, well, I take it back. The, I had, I, I'll go on to Humboldt County. The uh, turnout in Humboldt County was better than ours. It was a ninety. 90%, over 90% turnout. 
and they uh, Trump had 65% of the vote, the total vote, and um, and I'm, I'm sorry, um, Biden had 65% of the total vote, and Trump had 31% of the total vote. Uh, in Sonoma County, the turnout was 90, 90.57%. They had a very high turnout, too. Their uh, Biden support was 74% of the vote, and Trump was 23% of the vote. Interestingly, in most of the counties I looked at, the next highest vote-getter, which with typically a very small percent, was uh, Joe Jorgensen, who is the Libertarian. So Libertarian came in um, a very, very weak third in this, in this uh, election. Uh, yeah, and Lake County. What most surprised me looking at Lake County was their turnout, was less than 30% turnout. Um, and they, though, were, were a blue, a blue county. Uh, Biden came out with 62, a little over 62% of the vote. Trump was 35% of the vote. But the turnout in general was pretty weak in Lake County. So the other um, information I, I thought was kind of interesting was how people voted. I, I mentioned earlier that uh, it was it was 57 percent of the white voters in the country voted for Trump and 56 percent of the white women voted for Trump. So it, it seems like there's, there's some racism going on here. As far as the role that the black and Latino uh, voters played this time, their increase in voting was tremendous. Uh, the black vote nationally was up by over 20%. And the Latino vote um, was up by almost 64%. Uh, so the fact that these um, groups are turning out just a major increase in votes uh, is pretty interesting. And the 2016, uh, the comparison from 2016 to 2020, the 2016 information was based on the U.S. Census Bureau voting, reg voting and registration reports for that year. And the 2020 information is based on the Edison National Exit Poll, which has been credited uh, or has been criticized in the past for undercounting the Latino vote. Um, so, again, I've, as I've been saying throughout the show, I'm really trying to wrap my head around what it is that attracts people to Donald Trump uh, as, a, as a politician. Um, and there's some interesting things I was reading in uh, Psychology Today. Uh, there's an article by uh, Bobby uh, Azarian. A PhD who is um, 
Um, he has the credentials. He's a psychologist and writes for Psychology Today. And uh, uh, so he is saying that um, some believe that many of those who support Donald Trump do so because of ignorance. But basically, they're underinformed or misinformed about the issues at hand. Um, when And the the obvious solution he says is to try to reach the people through political ads and expert opinions and and logical arguments that educate them with facts except that none of those things have dissuaded people they've they've been given um uh other information that they don't seem to um pick up on so uh, he is, talks about the Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, that they're not just misinformed, it's that they are completely unaware that they're misinformed. And so when we don't know what we don't know, uh, it's difficult. Um, another thing that he says in his article is that the conservative brain has an ex- exaggerated fear response when placed with stimuli that may be perceived as threatening. And this was a study that showed when they measured brain activity that conservatives have a, uh, a response, a, a physiological response to fear that is different than um, than progressives. Um, all these are, are very interesting. Again, you can go to Psychology Today to see this article. Um, and then another um, thought that uh, terror management theory, and this is this is pretty interesting. It's a well-supported theory from social psychology. Uh, I better check on my time here. You know, I'll just recommend if you're interested in the psychology of the uh, Trump voters, you look at that Psychology Today article. Um, And we are coming up on the end of the hour. I um, appreciate uh, your your listening and uh, have a really wonderful holiday. Um, And I'll... uh, Go on out with, uh, oh, do stay tuned for Amy Goodman. She has a very good segment today on the uh, nominations. And this has been your host, Linda McClure, and this is KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio.